Hi guys, I'm Sean McCambridge. For over 20 years, I've been inquisitive, learning and experimenting with different ways to leverage our greatest asset, our minds, to work for us rather than against us. Join me as I engage with these inspirational guests to provide you knowledge and insights to help you achieve more. This show is sponsored by Stellar Recruitment and inspired by a company purpose and why, which is inspiring growth and changing lives. Thanks very much for tuning in. Well, guys, we're super lucky to have Mark Matthews join us here today. I'm really excited to have Mark on the show. I've been privileged enough to hear Mark speak a couple of times before, which has been really awesome. So for those people that don't know who Mark is, he is a world-renowned big wave surfer. Sponsors like Red Bull, GoPro, Rip Curl, and maybe others as sponsors. He's a highly sought-after international speaker. His clients include the likes of Google, Land Rover, Westpac, Deloitte, NRL, and many others. Um, He's obsessed with personal growth, which is awesome. He's had a pretty crazy and inspirational journey himself. He's a dad, he's a husband, and perhaps above all, I sort of wrote down that you've developed a process for overcoming fear, which is pretty cool. I mean, I think everyone experiences fear in different ways. I I wouldn't say I've developed it. Uh, I just like research enough to find out the the basic principles, but you've unearthed it to make it available. I just like kind of re-communicate what other smart people have communicated. Exactly. What do they say? Research and duplicate, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think either way, you're making that available to people, which is cool. I do like to go through all the different sort of tips and techniques that I find out there to do with fear. And I like to put them to the test for myself and see like kind of what value they actually are for me. And then um, I try and weed out the shit ones, find the good ones and then pass those on. Well, I think if you're the guinea pig, like you say, you know what works and you know what doesn't work. So you can sort of say with confidence, you know, I've tried that and this was my experience as opposed to some sort of theoretical basis. So I think that's pretty cool that you're inquisitive in that regard. And despite riding some of the planet's biggest waves, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure you started as the scared little boy that was fearful of even the smallest waves, which is pretty crazy if you look into some of the waves that Mark has surfed around the world. And obviously, your maybe your most renowned keynote is Life Beyond Fear, which is just incredible. So really stoked to have you on the show, Mark, and grateful that you've given up time. But I, I just want to sort of start with this first question. Probably up until the age of 22, I won't tell you how old I am now, but I thought my relationship with fear was it was binary. Either you were fearless or you were fearful, and that was your lot. It was fixed. It was locked in. Um, so I'm keen to get your your early relationship and take on fear, and how do you define fear? Yeah, I don't think I had that relationship in that. I, I just think really young with surfing, I learned after going from being really terrified early on that just like through constant sort of exposure and taking small step at a time, building up the skills, the knowledge, becoming a stronger swimmer, like all these different little things, then I slowly became less and less scared of the ocean. And I learned that fairly young in surfing. And um, I, I guess that just has kind of stuck with me now that the exact same process seems to work for most other things that I'm fearful or, or make me anxious. It's just you need the skills and the knowledge of how to master the environment that you're scared of. And once you get them, then you become a little less anxious of it over time. And eventually something kind of switches and you go from being nervous and anxious 
it's almost the same feeling, but it's more excitement. Yep. You have some skills to put to the test in a nerve-wracking environment. Yep. I think I was just really lucky to learn that at a young age. And I probably what was at the heart of me being able to do that was that I actually loved surfing so much. Even though I was scared, I can remember clear as day, the day I rode like a little foamy wave that reformed into like a perfect little green face wave. Like I can remember that moment clear as day and the actual feeling of skating along like an unbroken wave. And like I was so hooked on it that it just drove me. Like the, it was like the desire to keep doing it was greater than the fear. So that helped me with the motivation to learn the skills to push through. Yeah, that's cool. I still remember my first wave going along that clean face. It was at Blackhead in New Zealand. Yeah, amazing feeling. So I know that experience you're referring to. How do you define fear? I don't know what, like a fuck, you could just look it up in a, in a, <laughs> a dictionary. Yeah. For me, it's just like the, the, the sensations and physiological reactions and you could say psychophysiological, so the combination of like thoughts, emotions and then actual physiological bodily functions mm -hmm. that all happen when there is perceived threat. Yep. So you kind of notice threat, you feel like you're in danger and that can be like physical danger or like social or emotional danger. Like in both ways, I think your body physiologically perceives them at, a, at the same sort of thing because it's like emotional or socialized versions of fear and angst. I think your body perceives that as physical danger in a way because you've just kind of been shaped throughout evolution across really dangerous environments to your survival was predicated on being part of a tribe. So yeah. it's like interpersonal relationship were life and death mm -hmm. for the majority of time that you were evolving. So I feel like then now perceive that kind of emotional and social threat and danger or embarrassment in front of people or doing the wrong thing, like as though it's life and death. So it's just the way your body, your brain, your psyche responds to threat. That, that would be what fear is. Yeah. Great answer. And we might pick that up a little bit later around the lynch you've gone to to understand psychology and how your brain works. But I think, yeah, you're right. That's the prehistoric part of the brain that served us well once. You know, it was life or death environment uh, often. But obviously, a lot of the threats we receive now aren't necessarily life and death, but the, the body reacts in a way that's kind of, I guess, similar. But uh, I guess fast forward to today. You've almost died perhaps a couple of times surfing some of the craziest waves across the planet and surf waves where people have died. So it's obviously, it has been life and death a couple of times for you. You had a horrific accident where you almost lost your leg and I think it's just insane the length you went to to endure that injury and come out the other side and who you are now. And some people have accused or thought that you've had some sort of brain defect where you're just immune to fear, you don't suffer from fear. How would you describe, I guess, that process of working your way through and overcoming fear? The clinical psychologist has got the best name for it. It's called voluntary exposure therapy. Yeah. So it's voluntarily yeah. choosing to expose yourself to what scares you so that you can build skills and knowledge to master the environment. Like that's the process. Yep. Like so the version of that in big wave surfing is you've got to figure out a way to um, expose yourself to what it's like to have a, a 20, 30-foot wave hold you underwater and try and drown you. And if you can condition yourself to not panic when that happens, then you're going to give yourself the best shot of making it to the surface. And you'll make it every time if you don't panic. That's the reality. It's the panic that kills yeah. you in the ocean. Yeah. And the only way I've found that it's kind of good to do that, I'll get a free diver. We'll go to a deep water pool. The alarm goes off. We swim down to the bottom of the pool, like four or five meters deep under the Olympic diving boards. 
And then once we touch the bottom, I got to get to the top and it's his job to hold me underwater. And, and then we fight and wrestle at the bottom of the pool the whole time I'm trying to get to the top. He's trying to hold <laughs> me underwater. But it's just that trying to simulate that experience so that I can remain calm enough, conserve enough energy, utilize oxygen well to get to the top. And like I've never come across a wave in the ocean that held me underwater even half as long as what the freediver does. Yep. So that's the process. It's just finding what you're scared of, conditioning yourself, building skills, building knowledge. The thing is, I've never in my life ever woken up on the day of training <laughs> wanting to go and do that shit. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I freaking hate it. And that's kind of the crux of it is that getting the experience you need to overcome fear, like that process in as of itself is difficult. Mm. It's hard. It's danger factor. There's going to be nerves along the way. So that's why I always say to people, you have to first like figure out how to want it more than you fear yeah. it. Like the desire has to be there, has to be strong enough in order to get you through that conditioning phase. Yep. If people come to me and they want to overcome fears and stuff, I'm like, tell me what you want and why you want yep. it. What's your ultimate future look like? What do you want to avoid? Like what's worst case scenarios in five, 10 years from now if you don't take action? And you can see as people kind of articulate that, they think about it a bit. They're like, oh, yeah. It's pretty important that I take on this challenge or fear or upskill myself or whatever because it's going to mean this life instead of this life. And then once the desire is created, then it's strategy yeah. around how to build the skill set without kind of like exposing yourself too much too quick mm. because there's that kind of ultimate ratio of learning where you want to sit in the – you want a 70% success rate. Yeah. 30% fail rate. If it's much higher than that, you won't be able to deal with it and you'll give it away, you know? Like, so you got to find that perfect balance, those perfect small stepping stones. And then you just fall in love with the fact that you look back on what you were doing a week ago, a month ago, uh, six months ago, and you realize, holy shit, I'm actually getting better at this. I'm actually less scared. And then when you're addicted to that feeling, then you can kind of like just chase it in every aspect of your life. That might be a really cool segue talking about, you, you touched on it a bit in that response, but the power of why. So can you sort of talk mm. to us a little bit more about that? Like being real clear, creating crystal clear pictures around what success looks like for you and then why you want to succeed. And I often talk about kind of tying my loved ones to my success. So it's like, how do my loved ones benefit from my success? You know, how, how are they going to benefit from the hard work I put in, the long hours, the hard training, the stress that I'm going to put myself through? And if I'm real clear on how they benefit from it, and I believe it, you know, then I feel like that's kind of the best way to override deeply ingrained fear. Because I, I do think naturally as humans, you will take more risk. You'll put yourself through more for your loved ones than you will for yourself. It's just... It's this weird thing and psychologists kind of prove this. It's like you just don't love yourself as much as you love your loved ones because you kind of know all the bad things about yourself. Yeah. So you're harder to love yeah. than you are your loved ones. You know? like, yep. So it's nice to kind of tie how they benefit yeah. to your success. You know, And then that's probably the crux of some element of meaning, like loving that feeling of, putting your skills to the test, like walking the fine line between like 
what you know and what you don't know, like between success and failure. And as you walk that fine line, you'll notice that you're energized by doing that. You know, like if things are too boring and mundane and it's too easy, like you go a little bit crazy. If it's too difficult, you can't stand it. You get burnt out with stress. But if you find that fine line, it's like every sort of response your body has physiologically creates energy because yeah. you're focused on it, you know? And, that, and then the byproduct of finding that fine line, like between like success and failure is like that, that zone, what people call the zone or, or a state of flow or in the present moment. Like I think being able to live in the present moment is a byproduct of finding that perfect zone, you know? Yeah. That perfect test between like you're nervous enough but you're not just in complete chaos, you know, like, and then that's meaning, I think, the, the kind of the product between that. Yeah. I, some, somewhere along those lines. I love that. I love that. And uh, I listened to a, a podcast recently with uh, Alexander Volganovsky, and he talks about the same. He's got this vision for his family, and it's not just him. He could sort of care less about the belts, but what winning manifests for him is this future for his family and what he's trying to create for his family. And he says to himself before he goes into the ring, no one's taking this away from my family. Not necessarily not taking this away from me. They're not taking them away from my family because he's got this vision around what this career in the UFC is creating for his family. So I think that's Yeah, and he can put yeah, and then he can put himself through that much pain yeah. and like to do that. Yeah. I mean, that's one aspect of motivation. I think it's probably the the most powerful. But then you also got to think about all the other ones, you know, like he would love taking this crazy skill set that he has, putting it to the test against the other best person in the world at it and just like climbing his way up some sort of like competence hierarchy to show that I'm the best at this. Like that feels good too, you know, like so it's a combination of all those different motives, you know, that, Absolutely. that, that pushes. Yeah, obviously you've you've gone some way to invest in yourself and understanding how your brain works and how to overcome fear and anxiety and psychology. So what have you sort of done to sort of equip yourself to understand how you and people work and then also strategies to overcome that? What are the the tangible things you've done in that regard? I think like it's just a long journey of me dealing with my own fears. Like so the, the fear of drowning in the ocean was the first major one that I had to overcome. And then I'm hyper introverted. So for me, like social situations are really taxing. Then it also makes public speaking, which is my second career, like so stressful for me. Like it's terrifying. I feel like I could die on stage, <laughs> of, you know, like the embarrassment feels worse than getting held underwater on a huge wave. So like overcoming that fear as well. And then just kind of like searching, you know, for, for what helps the most. I've ended up on like certain, like I'm still learning, so who knows, I might come up with something else, but <laughs> it just seems to me like there's foundational principles, yep. right? So if you think of like the structure of a house, like you have the foundational things that you have to have, you have to have that base, you have to have the walls, you have to have the roof, like things that you can't go without. I think those things are like direction and meaning. That's what we were just talking about, knowing mm-hmm, what you want mm-hmm. and why you want it. And then you need support. You need a community around you of close people that motivate you, that push you, that want the best for you. So support is the other one. And then health. I think like physical health is probably the other part that underpins your ability to be resilient enough to deal with fear. Like they're foundations. And then on top of the foundations is kind of like 
like so you decorate your house with furniture, you know, like furniture is useful. It adds some benefit. It's not 100% necessary, but it adds benefit. I think that's where you come into that realm of like psychology where th- there's cognitive tools that you can use. Like I can use um, different breathing techniques in order to calm my nervous system down as I'm going through that process of building the experience and dealing with nerve wracking moments. I can use um, like all different cognitive behavioral therapy techniques that add bonus. Like you can use NLP stuff like neuro-linguistic programming, which is just basically saying different positive paragraphs that kind of settle your nervous system down because your brain's so highly attuned to language and you utter certain things that come out of your mouth, you have a feeling response. So that's kind of the way that one works. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of those different ones. Just being out in nature is one that settles you, like heaps of different ones. But I see those things as additional things to the foundations, direction, meaning, support like friendship groups and health like physical health and then you add the like the 10 percenters they provide like a good little 10 percent to help you out here and there you know now i love that and uh, i heard by someone most psychologists go into psychology to help themselves you know what i mean and and, yeah, and the challenges they've got to go problem, through yeah. but i guess for you you've been a guinea pig and you've sought out different things to help resolve or work through certain things you've been faced with, but there, uh, there's constants or principles that apply both for you and for other people, and you're doing a great job around sharing your learning. So like we talked about before, you may not have invented that, but you've experimented with that. You understand the benefit to you individually, and now you're sharing that with other people, which is really cool because some people don't have the same sort of curiosity or make the same effort to research and understand. So I think- uh, yeah. Or they don't have time, yeah. you know, like but most people don't have time because you're so busy working and like their career and family. It's like, I just had heaps of time to search. A, I was a <laughs> professional server for yeah. a long time. It's like means you're sitting on planes for hours and out, you know, like, and the motivation was there to do it too. But yeah, I like, that's why for me, if I'm like assessing like how I'm coping with life in general and the stresses and I want to like kind of optimize my level of resilience i try and adjust like multiple areas you know at a time because it could be something might be stressing you out that's not completely in your in your view Mm. you know like it might be in the peripherals it might be subconscious that it's actually having the most damage effect so i try and go like okay what can i adjust physically that will help change a little bit maybe it's something to do with diet Mm -hmm. like uh, food hydration you know like stuff like that, maybe something to do with exercise. I'm not getting out in nature enough at this point. So you, you look for diet and then you look for, okay, what's going on in my, in my relationships, friends, like my marriage, like w- what little adjustments can I make there, you know, to optimize that. And then the same with direction and meaning. It's like, okay, maybe I've gone off course and I don't even realize. I'm going to go back and like take some time to have a think about where I'm at in life and where I want to go. And then it's like you make tiny little adjustments in those different areas, then you're most likely to hit the thing that's yep. that's having the negative effect mm-hmm, on you. Mm-hmm. And they all kind of just affect each other, you know, and then you create a positive snowball. You might adjust your diet, have a little bit more energy, and then uh, that positively affects your relationships at home. Yep. And then all of a sudden your relationships at home are working good. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, you're that much better at work, you know? It's just like that positive snowball because otherwise you have the reverse effect, you know? Like often 
when I deal with um, like athletes or like football teams or whatever, like the, the cream of the crop top athletes, it's like they're doing almost everything perfect. But what they're not seeing is the thing that's running them down mm. isn't the amount of training they're doing. It's because they're like, something's going on at home, yep. family life, in relationships that's actually stressing them out a bit. Mm -hmm. They don't really like connect the dots that that's actually the thing that's probably making you tired, mm -hmm. you know, or, or less resilient to the amount of training you need to do. So it's like, I'm not the expert of how to solve all yeah. those little things, but, but it's like, maybe look down that area a little bit. For sure. No, I've, I've heard that a lot. So, you, you see you now, you're on stage or back on stage now that COVID's, you know, hopefully been and gone. You know, all these people watching you, being inspired by the work you do, people see you surfing these crazy waves, all the rest of it. It looks like the sort of rock star existence, right? But if we rewind to a time that, you know, I've seen and you've told me about where it was the lowest of lows, right? You're in this hospital bed or you're at home and your whole career and pathway and purpose was almost gone, you know, to the point where I understand you almost lost your leg. It was crazy, and I dare say there were some pretty dark days in amongst that. What words of advice or wisdom would you pass on to people that are maybe navigating through tough times? And good on you for speaking about it. Unfortunately, we lost Paul Green recently, sadly, uh, and I think it's a terrible shame. What What would you sort of pass on from your journey with you know those dark days? I think it's it's just what I spoke about. Like it's assess those foundational things that are happening in life and make small adjustments mm. to help you out. Because like when I was going through that time, like that's a complete external world shift, you know, like you're thrown into chaos because all of a sudden you're professional surfer, you've got this career, I've got these sponsors, everything's going great. Bang, wipe out, told never going to surf again. I've got permanent nerve damage so my foot doesn't work. I've got no functioning ankle joint, you know, like all this different stuff. I'm never going to surf the way I surfed, you know, and, and most likely not going to surf, you know, to any sort of level. And then on top of that, I had chronic pain, like nerve pain is by far the worst pain I've experienced. And so on top of that, I'm taking a whole bunch of medication to try and like balance out the pain and be able to deal with it. And then I'm doing zero exercise because I'm laid up in a friggin' hospital bed going through like eight different surgeries in a year. Just like when you look at all the factors that make you healthy and resilient, it was like every single one of those got shattered, you know? So it was just building each one of those piece by piece back. And I found it kind of beneficial to let go of the kind of dream of surfing again. Like, cause otherwise I found it too stressful. Like if I wasn't seeing like lots of progress, I was like, then it was too stressful. Things aren't working. I'm not going to surf. So I was like, I'm going to let go of that big picture of surfing. But what I want to do is just like make these small amounts of progress kind of day to day, week to week. And it was just like I knew certain things that were going to be beneficial to me. So it was like, okay, I just want to get this much exercise and movement in, in a week, you know, and some days I'd just be in too much pain to, to hit the target. But then the next day I could make up for that. And then when I assess the week, it's like tick if I got there, you know, make adjustments if I didn't like, and just get these small gains like in, in different places. And I found bringing my attention down to just that smaller time frame, doing that, it just, it kept me a bit more sane, yeah. you know, through that period. And then of course, like the, the last thing I wanted really was company going through that really bad time. Like you don't want it when you think about it, but when you get it, you're like, oh yeah, hold on a minute. That <laughs> made me feel way better. Yeah. You know, like, 
So it's um that's the part that's really hard, like that kind of movement towards dealing with mental health and stuff and like your support in your relationships is so beneficial, but when you're in that dark place, it's the last thing you want to do is like be exposed to your friends or anyone else while you're in that mm. dark vulnerable place. You don't want to let people know mm. that, like all that sort of stuff. So that part's so difficult, you know. I was so lucky. I just my wife was just by my side the whole time, and she was amazing. She'd organise people to come around, even though I didn't want them to at different moments, and and that made a huge difference. I had one thing happen that that made a massive difference too. Is I just met a guy like a chance meeting of a young guy in hospital, and I had no idea. Like he reached out to me just with a message, and he was in the same hospital. I mean, he came up one other to see me, and like he gets wheeled into my hospital room by his brother. He's like complete quadriplegic, like broken his neck, snowboarding. And it was just like this shock moment that kind of shifted my perspective. It was like, I was feeling so down and out, you know, like full of anger, frustration, what had happened, like self-pity, like about having to deal with what I had to. But then it was like, I looked at that kid and I was like, holy shit. Like he's dealing with something. It's not even comparable, like a million times worse. I had like just after meeting him in the days after, I had all these thoughts consistently. It was like, fuck, man, imagine what he would give to only have to deal with what I was going through, you know, to be able to get back up on his feet, you know, like in not that long a year, you know, compared. It's just not compared. And that just sort of force shifted my perspective, you know, like it's not like I just bit, was on a cloud of bliss and happiness from from that point <laughs> onwards, but – it was enough to make me realize how like when that perspective shifted and I was in that better state, I was able to deal with like the pain and everything that I was going through way better. So talk to us about uh, the, the talk that you gave us uh, recently. Talk to us about the tangible things that that shift in mindset correlated to in your body and all the rest because I think going into that, your leg wasn't, healing that well, maybe there's some risk of infection, maybe there's some risk of losing it at that stage. But when you shifted your mind to having a bit of perspective and a bit of gratitude about where you were relative to this young man, what actually happened? Yeah, like so it was like a cascading series of effects, you know. Like all of a sudden I could deal with the pain better on those days after I met him, which meant that I slept for the first time, like through the night in hospital. So that then gave me a little bit more energy to do different things through the day. And then the wounds on my leg from the surgery that were getting really bad infected, they all started to heal because of that, you know, like because I was in a better state, I was getting better sleep, my nervous system was a little bit more relaxed, you know, I was less frustrated. And then I started to realize it was like all these positive things are happening from that one starting point of just looking at my situation in a different light you know, from a different angle. And then I was like, okay, well, how can I like do this more consistently? I'm hyperneurotic along with being introverted. And when you're hyperneurotic, you're kind of like, my brain's just good at looking at every given situation and highlighting everything that's bad about it and everything that might go wrong. Yeah. And so like being optimistic and shit is not like natural for me, but like there was a really good technique I found. It was called habit stacking. Mm -hmm which is basically just taking a positive lifestyle habit and stacking it on top of or tying it to a primary habit that you have. So primary habits is basically where you, the things that you do throughout 
any given day and you do them consistently day in, day out, like you wake up every morning, have a cup of coffee, yeah, brush your teeth, shower, yeah. brush your teeth, breakfast, commute to work, like dinner in the evenings, like all, all these different things that you do consistently, you do them partially on autopilot. So there's just, there's time there that you can do something positive, like or new. So what that looked like for me, it was just like in the mornings when I was about to have a cup of coffee, I was like, I had to write three things down that I felt grateful mm. for. And then the process of just, you force yourself to write it, makes you think about it long enough, think about it long enough, you have the emotional reaction and your nervous system kind of settles a little, you know. And then I'd do the same thing, a similar thing when um, I had to do the physio that I was doing, the exercises. I'd watch a, um, a slideshow that I made on my phone. Like you can go on your phone now, mm. just pick out a whole bunch of pictures that you have in there of things that, make you feel lucky or grateful mm. like good things mm. in your life you know you, you could even highlight negatives to make you feel lucky you could have uh, pictures of people going through really bad stuff to, and just being like how lucky am i that i don't have to deal with mm. this whatever whatever makes you have the response and then i'd have that i'd make a slideshow out of my phone put music like watch it and then i'd have that emotional reaction and then i'd start doing whatever exercise i needed to do yep. Yeah, and I just found that I could deal with the pain of the exercise then a whole lot better. Like I, I even noticed like a little increase in reps mm. of any given exercise when I would do that and I would start in that state. And then the best one I found was had an unintended benefit of helping my relationships, which is of course like, you know, one of those foundational pieces to resilience and dealing with fear and mental health. Mm. So this technique was you just send a message of gratitude to someone in your life. Like, so anything along the lines of, hey, I was just thinking, I'm lucky that you're in my life. I just want to say thanks for this, this, and this, whatever. Yeah. And you write that message, you have that response. You yeah. know, your nervous system settles. Yeah. You know, and then the person who reads the message has an even stronger response. And then they usually send a message back. So it kind of like selfish reason to start doing it because it was like I, it made me feel good to send those type of messages. But then it just, it had this unintended benefit. It kind of just strengthens your relationships. And I try and get audiences to do that now when I do keynotes and I see the responses. I've had like, I think uh, throughout the keynotes since I've started doing that, I don't know, eight months ago, there's been like 3,000 messages sent and I can see from the replies, there's actually been three actual situations because these people sent me the reply that they got where they had sent that message to a friend they hadn't seen in like a year. And that friend right at that moment was going through a really dark time and they were just like, that message just changed their life. They wrote this these nice messages back. It's like, you have no idea what I was just going through right then and how this message just basically saved my life. You know, like they probably in that moment of like kind of suicidal ideation in that moment, you know, like so that technique is probably the best. Like it's real simple to do. Yes, I, I love that. I love, right I, I love the ripple effect of that and I think you call it yeah. the wave of gratitude. So I'd, re yeah. <laughs> I, I'd really encourage anyone listening to just experiment with that. Choose a, a bunch of friends, family, whatever the case is, send out the message of gratitude, see what you get back. Because yeah, I did it that day uh, down at um, at Bolter, uh, and the message you get back and the the energy in the room just changes, right? And your mindset just changes as you send those messages, as, as you get messages back. Such a simple thing to do, but I love it. 
and also love, you know, the exercise and the habit stacking and some of those mind hacks you've got. But for me, practicing gratitude daily, for me, it rewired my brain. M- maybe I'm similar to you and being hyper-neurotic. I was quick pre-gratitude of picking out all the things that were bad in my life, negative in my life. But once I started doing that once a day, all of a sudden it's like I rewired my brain to see the good in my life and therefore I become a lot yeah. more happy as a result rather than focusing on all the things I didn't yet have. And, and it's like... A lot of people are like kind of neurotically disposed, you know, and and that's not like it's like a weird thing to see the world that way because if you look at it, that's a survival mechanism. Do you know what I mean? Like your brain is highlighting things that might go wrong or what's wrong with the situation so that you can avoid danger. Like that's just one of those built-in mechanisms. So it's not wrong necessarily to be like that. It's just valuable to take the edge off it, you know, yeah. with a, a few extra moments of gratitude. Like you're not going to completely change your genetic personality trait, but it just takes the edge off it and it makes it easier to deal with, I think. like, And it is kind of awkward to send a message like that for the first time. Like I always tell people, I'll, I'll give you a script. <laughs> like you could write it right now. If you're listening to this podcast, just say, write this to someone in life. Just say, hey, I was just listening to this podcast and the people on it were just talking about gratitude and it just made me think how lucky I am to have you in my life. Just wanted to say thanks. And that's not a weird text message. It's just like something natural that's happened and you're just sharing it because you would have those moments all the time. It's just that it's not, it's kind of weird to share it. You know, you might get a weird response. People might be like, shit, are you dying? Like, what's going on? Like, or, or like, okay, sometimes your partner might go, okay, now tell me what you did wrong. Uh, yeah, that's it. What but, do you want? But it's still worth it, man. I'm telling you, they can't possibly read a message like that and not have an amazing response. physiological response. Yeah. yeah it's, it's similar to that neuro-linguistic programming. Mm. Like if you read something like that, it changes your nervous system. Absolutely. You're a parent. I'm a parent. There's obviously a lot of listeners that are parents as well. Um, We talked about our respective journeys with fear. What tips would you pass on uh, regarding how parents might convey how to overcome fear or deal with fear or at least not know that or come to the conclusion that it's fixed? I'm either fearful or fearless. So what are your tips here? Yeah, I think exactly what you said. I, I try and with my daughters, more so my elder daughter that's three now, I've always just tried to like explain to her in different moments that it doesn't matter if something's scary now, it's scary because it's new, you know, like it's a new environment. And then as you practice, it won't be scary anymore. Like I try and explain that and she grasps it. And then like when she does something that she was scared of, I'll make her think back and like, go, hey, remember how you used to be really scared of this? And now you're not scared of it. Why is that? Or what did you do? And like, and then she also watches like cartoons and stuff that portray that. I think, I don't know, what's the one that she always watches? It's like, it's like Abby Hatcher or something. Like one of these, or or, um, Hello Ninja. It's like, there's different, they convey (laughs) that amazing messaging. And it's like, it's programmed. So like, she'll be like, oh, I just, I just need to practice if I can't do it, you know, like, and it's amazing to watch. And I try and get her to be excited about the change, you know, and my daughter's like, she does seem to be quite similar to me and my wife. Like she's, 
really sensitive to things so super sensitive to sound like can't deal with loud sound sensitive to to pain like touch i noticed like way more like yeah, like if you yeah. fuck if i try and put her hair up in a boat like she'll scream like her scalp is so sensitive like and that's the thing that people need to understand and kids should understand it's like we're all different so it doesn't matter that you're more scared of a situation or you feel more pain in a situation than other people do, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not necessary that they're braver than you. It's just that they don't feel mm -hmm. that situation the way you do, you know? That's why it's always good. It's better to compare yourself to yourself, you know, and to who you were, like, and then see the progress. Because if you start early, by the time my daughter's like 10, Kids are going to look at her like she's just so fearless in the world of surfing and in the water, whereas mm. the reality was she wouldn't go in the shower and put her head underwater till she was like almost two. Like she wouldn't <laughs> even go under the water in the pool. Like she was so scared because her eyes are so sensitive. So yeah. like I still, she still comes surfing with me in goggles like because her eyes, it's too much pain. It, like a drop of salt water in her eyes. So I think that's it. It's like you said, it's, I don't know, maybe you're born – sort of genetically predisposed to a growth mindset. I don't know. That might be part of a personality trait, but it does seem in what I've like read, you can foster it yeah. if you get it early enough and, and they can believe it. You know? yeah, yeah. And then I just think that's one of the best mindsets to have. It's like, it doesn't matter what I'm like now. If I do this, this, and this, and this, I'm going to be totally different down the track. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just neuroplasticity, isn't it? Understand that your brain can change, your brain can evolve. And I, I love and I wish I had had that learning at three years of age like you're doing with your daughter around the fact that, you know, fear is normal. Everyone experiences it differently, but to overcome it, you've just got to expose yourself, work your way through it and refer back to a time where you're doing this now. Remember there was a time when you wouldn't even get in the water? You wouldn't even get off the beach? You wouldn't even get in? Exactly. Now you're surfing waves. You wouldn't even poo in the toilet. That was the <laughs> best for any parents. Yeah. It's like I had no idea that doing that could be so frigging scary for a kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I've been changing like three-year-old pooey yeah. nappies for like the last <laughs> for so many months. And then my daughter just the other day, she's like runs up to me, drags me inside to look into the toilet. She goes, look, I did it. I did yeah. it. You yeah. know, like it's so funny, man. Nah, like, nah. And, and the excitement that she had, it was like, yeah, it's priceless. Yeah, I mean, uh, just sort of thinking out loud, um, obviously you're doing some great stuff with adult audiences and, and obviously my kids were the benefactors of going to the last one we did with you, but it would be really cool to break it down in a way and whether you use cartoon, whatever the case is, to sort of talk about that evolutional process of how your mind works and how to navigate and work through fear because my view is there's a lot of busted adults that are a derivative of not understanding how their brain works as kids and if you teach them to understand themselves and strategies to overcome it, we might have less adults that are you know somewhat broken in a way through learning you know some of the things that you've come to learn i've come to learn over a period of time but that's probably a conversation for another time but obviously you're practicing that with your daughter and she's the benefactor of that my kids have been the benefactor of that through attending your stuff and you're doing some amazing stuff in general so i mean how do people find out more about the magic that you're doing mark um markmatthews.com is my, my website, Matthews with one T, and you can contact me directly from there. The majority of the work that I do, you would know, like with the keynotes that I do, I deliver to corporate 
audiences and stuff. But I do, whenever it's like virtual and there's an opportunity, I invite people to invite their kids For along sure. and watch. Or where I can, sometimes clients will, like their big company will sponsor me to speak at a school as well and try and expose it that way. And when I have time and, and like I kind of have time to do so many charity jobs or school jobs and I book them in for the year yeah. or, or open ticketed events that people can come along, I do as much of that as possible, I'm trying to make up for two years of lost finances though at the yeah, moment. Yeah, so not as much time. And then I, I'm slowly building out a like online kind of course of the different stuff we just talked about cool. with some activities. If there are any learning and development experts in the field, with children or adults that want to give me a hand on that, reach out because like I try to embed my stuff as much as I can with the best parts of, of psychology. Like I don't like to steer across. I like to always tell people like if their problems are the bad, the best thing you can do is speak to a professional psychologist. Yeah. Like that's one of the parts of getting better. It's like I grew up naturally as an athlete, you're like, it's so normal to go out and speak to a performance psychologist yeah. in order to get better at what you, you the sport that you do. Like that's just normal. You, you're crazy if you don't do that. So it should be that normal for anyone who has any sort of access to speak to anyone about performance or psychology. It's like you're better off just doing it straight up to be better at life. Like, you know, don't wait until you're suffering to go and see them. You're better off like, if your workplace has access to it, it's like use it. Yeah. They might just be out and, and go with the, the, the mindset of optimizing the way you're living yeah. rather than like, help me, I'm, I'm desperate, you know, because then you won't get to the point that you're desperate. I think that's like the, it's a little bit missed in, in culture. Like they always say, go speak to a friend, which is amazing. But if you have access to a professional, like the advice you get from them and it's not sitting around drinking beers and fucking getting drunk, it's going to be way better to, um, to speak to a professional. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think it'd be awesome to normalise and democratise speaking to people, psychologists and the likes, to help you through whether it's optimising things or just working through tough times. I just think it'd be a game changer the same way we go to the GP, same way we go to the doctor, you know, physios, all that sort of stuff that's normalised. I think a psychologist, seeing a psychologist, psychologist normalizing that would be unreal for everyone so mate i'm super grateful for your time i know that you you got your surfing with your little daughter this morning so i'm i'm glad you got that in but i know how busy you are mate you're changing people's lives you're a great human being and and even though i've heard you a couple of times before i always get something out of the the podcast i listen to or the conversations we have so just so grateful that you've given up the time to share some of those learnings i'm sure there'll be plenty of people that benefit from that so you know just so grateful mate too easy thanks so much for having me thanks so much for tuning in means the world to me uh if you got something of value out of the podcast i'd love you to pay it forward and share it with anyone that might benefit thanks again for tuning in